Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so privileged to know you. You are a creator. You know our minds inside and out. And uh, you know exactly what's best for them. And Lord, I pray as we study today that you would make it clear uh, how we can protect our minds and we can focus squarely on Jesus and what he's done for us and what he wants to do with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're living in an age where artificial stimulation of our senses is at an all-time high. Um, there's, we've got tablets, we've got smartphones, we've got every, man, every manner of electronic device that's pinging when we get a message. There's a constant bombardment of our senses with some form or another of stimulation. And this is particularly true in the cities, um, visually. Uh, if you go to Toronto, you'll see billboards all over the place um, with half-naked ladies. Um, you'll see uh, all kinds of uh, hypersexualized images, um, and you're going to see people walking around um, wearing basically underwear. And this is what you're constantly bombarded with. Um, I, I work in the city right now, and um, I see this. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's no wonder that in Revelation we're told that Babylon is that great city. And we're called in Revelation 18.4 to come out of her. But uh, that's not the topic of today, even though um, it is related. Uh, so the other thing that I really want to focus on here, and this is what's, you know, those may be the more obvious deceptions or the more obvious thing, ways that the devil gets at us. But there are much more subtle ways that he tries to get into our minds. And, you know, I have this habit of checking the news, for example. I like to check the news, you know, quickly check the news. You know, the news is not immune to this kind of subliminal messaging. And the news websites, they have all kinds of little, like, taglines, little, little sidebars, little, little uh, images even, that especially for men, they take your attention and they lead you places where you didn't expect to go or you wish you had never gone. So these are, these, are, these are things that are reality in each of our lives and we need to do something to, to get away from them. But I, I propose, and this is what I want to get at today, is that this sensory onslaught, while it may be a problem, it is not that big of a problem when we have a focus, okay? When we have a focus. And I'll get to that a little more in detail later. But I want to cover one more thing, and that's even in our workplace. You know, uh, multitasking, we've been told, is the new norm, right? Everybody uh, goes to work, and, and they're expected to juggle 15 different things at the same time, and that's, that's considered a skill, right? To, to be able to, you know, have all these different priorities, and you're able to see, hey, uh, I can do this, I can do that. Oh, when this pings, I can answer my email there. Um, but how many of you think, um, or how many of you might write that on your CV, multitasking? Anybody? Ooh. The ladies, maybe? The ladies generally think they're better at multitasking than the men, right? Isn't that true? Um, that's probably true. They are a little better, but multitasking is a myth, Multitasking is an absolute myth. Um, it, 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 yeah, it can work, uh, but really poorly. So it has been shown through multiple forms of research uh, that focusing on an individual task one at a time is going to increase your efficiency and increase your productivity and increase your effectiveness in working on that particular uh, topic. Just, just try this thought experiment. Uh, say you take... Uh, the numbers 1 through 20, right? And uh, you write them out in sequence. But you also have a second task, which is um, you want to write, I need to count my blessings more often, right? Try writing, the, uh, writing out that statement and the 
number sequence. One number, and then one letter, and then one number, and then one letter, and one number, one letter, right? Back and forth between this, these two tasks. And tell me how quickly you do it in comparison to doing them individually and in order. And that's a simple thing, right? So we are people who've been designed to focus. God has created us with an incredible capacity in our mind to focus and do good things, but the world around us is telling us an opposite thing. It's giving us multiple different ways, and I believe, and this is, this is I, I really believe this is the devil's plan because what he's doing is he's, he's telling us that we can't just pay attention to one thing. There are too many other important things that we need to also pay attention to, and it really diverts us from truth. So, um, just this last week, uh, and part of the reason why I really wanted to, to cover this topic the way I'm covering it, um, my supervisor, who's a MD, uh, but he's also a clinician, he's a clinician scientist at SickKids, he shared with me a paper written by a, a Nobel laureate um, chemist by the name of Robert Lefkowitz. Robert Lefkowitz is the guy who discovered um, G-protein coupled receptors. Now, that may sound like Chinese to many of you, but um, basically he discovered uh, a signaling molecule on the outside of a cell that um, is triggered to set off a whole bunch of cascade of signaling events inside the cell in response to a stimulus. Incredible work he's done. So he, he, found, he, he got the Nobel Prize along with one of his trainees uh, for this work. Now, uh, Robert Lefkowitz wrote a, an op-ed in uh, one of the one very high-impact journal called um, the Journal of Clinical Investigation, and he talked about in his op-ed about the keys to success in research, right? And um, he talked about training the next uh, generation of MD-PhD students. And I happen to have an MD-PhD student training with me, so I have to work with him, and so he shared this article with me. That's why I got the article. And a uh, very interesting uh, thing in, his, in the course of this short little op-ed, he said, there are four keys to success in research. There are four keys to success in re- research, okay? So um, I'll share those with you. The first key is focus, okay? First key is focus. The second key is focus. <laughs> and the third key is, you guessed it, Focus. And the fourth, right, focus. Wow, you're getting it. So he goes on to say, and this is something very interesting, the most important thing I can do for my trainees is to teach them how to focus like a laser on their problem. But this requires constant energy on my part. So, you know, uh, I'm like this too. I'm doing research and I find something new um, or I find something that's, I think is new, but it's tangential to my problem of interest. So it isn't exactly what I'm looking for or what I'm interested in necessarily, but it's interesting. So I really like, and I keep bringing this up in meetings. Oh, I want to check this thing out. And I can see how frustrating it must be for a supervisor to to have to say, hey, look, you know, like this is your problem. First, focus on that problem. Then, yes, all this other stuff, as my supervisor would say, it's, it's gravy. Right? It's, it's, it's nice extra stuff, but you've got to focus like a laser on your problem. So today, um, I don't know about you, but probably your major motive um, is not to succeed in research being here, right? <laughs> so you might be wondering, why am I even telling you this? But I really believe that we have a much higher calling than success in research, right? Every one of us, myself included, we all do. And so I want to relay one point to you today and, and emphasize this point. Everything is going to be focused on this point, if you will. And that is that we need to focus with laser-like precision on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and on his mission. Focus, 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 focus. And why should we focus? 
It's going to give us peace. And his life will be lived in us if we focus on him. So, in order to understand why we need focus again, or how we may have lost focus, we need to turn in our Bibles to Genesis, the very beginning. And uh, we will look in Genesis, actually beginning in chapter 2, And uh, I just want to share this because, you know, God doesn't give us anything, um, or God didn't create anything bad, did he? There was only one thing that he said, it is not good, before sin entered the world. Do you know what that is? For a man to be alone, right? So it's good to have a wife, and incidentally, it's my fifth anniversary today, so I know that very acutely. Praise God for that. Um, and, and so it is very good to, uh, to have others around us, and that's, that's part of the message, others who have a positive influence on us and help us um, to, to be more godly. But uh, the point I want to get at is God made good things, okay? So we're looking at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, and those things were for us. And out of the ground made the Lord to grow every tree that is what? Pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay. So the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, um, first there was one thing. It was pleasant to the eyes, right? So it was nice to look at, very nice to look at. And the second thing was it was good for food, right? So two really beautiful things God made for us. Now, if we go further to, um, probably the most famous sin, right? Um, seems the most innocent, maybe, but the most famous sin. And, and we look forward to Genesis chapter 3. And we take a look at what happened here. Um, and, and with the serpent. And you all know this story so well because it's so famous. Uh, in, looking at verse um, 6 of Genesis chapter 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she said good for food, right? And that it was what? Pleasant to the eyes. So there were two aspects that were really getting to her initially. It looked like, it seemed like it would be really good food. And the second thing was it looked really attractive, right? So two different things, your eyes and probably, you know, your imagination a little bit. And it was desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now, I don't think we really understand what happened here as clearly as we sometimes think. And, and where do we go when we, we don't necessarily understand some of these things? We can get greater clarity sometimes through the spirit of prophecy, right? So if we take a look at, um, this is the book Christian Temperance and Bible Hygiene, and um, there's a statement here about when she ate. What happened when she ate? What was the sensation? How did, you, how did it go? So it says here, she ate, and thinking she felt the sensation of a new and more exalted life, she bore the fruit to her husband. The serpent had said that she would not die, and she felt no ill effects from eating the fruit. Hmm, no ill effects, right? Nothing which could be interpreted to mean death, but instead a pleasurable sensation, which she imagined was as the angels felt. Her experience stood arrayed against the positive command of Jehovah, yet Adam permitted himself to be seduced by it. So, she was told she would die. She ate it. She didn't die. I mean, hey, seems good to me, right? Just keep eating. Share it with Adam. Even it tasted good to her. But you know, we get this same good feeling when we know that we, we do something we know is contrary to what God's will is sometimes, don't we? A good feeling, a feeling that's good. Because we're not automatically struck to death, right? And, you know, this is the really, 
big issue here because you know why why was the tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil why not just evil any thoughts on that I have a feeling and, and I mean there's a lesson in here for us I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why but this very beginning problem with the tree was a combination of good with evil it was a bringing together of good with evil. And this is, this is a problem we're facing so much. So combining good with evil, a good feeling, with doing something contrary to the expressed will of God. Okay? And we often find this in the religious world. If we look back to Christian temperance and Bible hygiene, there's a text for this as well in Ecclesiastes. I'll share it in a minute. God's expressed commands are transgressed. This is page 42 of Christian Temperance and Bible Hygiene. And because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. This is Ecclesiastes 8.11. In the face of the most positive commands of God, men and women will follow their own inclinations and then dare to pray over the matter, to prevail upon God, to allow them to go contrary to his expressed will. What's that called? Presumption. Right? That's not faith, that's presumption. Um, Satan comes to the side of such persons as he did to Eve in Eden and impresses them. They have an exercise of mind, and this they relate as a most wonderful experience, which the Lord has given them. See, she, she thought that the angels felt that, right? Remember from the quote I just shared? But true experience will be in harmony with natural and divine law. False experience arrays itself against the laws of life, and precepts of Jehovah. So I really believe that just like Eve, we have trouble recognizing the wrong in mixing good and evil in our lives. And I think part of that is because we've become very good at hiding the evil in our lives. I think that's part of the issue. Um, It might be. It could also be that we just don't recognize evil a lot at all. Maybe we've become so, we don't even know what it looks like because we've become so numb to how it is. Um, and, and because of that, we start losing the ability to put it in its place. And, and sometimes, actually, uh, during this conference, we've really hit on this, and I really appreciate it. Sometimes we actually want it. We definitely want it. We don't, we don't have enmity, right, as we heard today. We don't hate sin. We actually cherish it. We want it for later. So we'll show ourselves really good Adventist Christians here in front of everyone else. But then uh, a little bit later, we will we'll go off to our electronic devices for some gratification. Um, because we want it. Not because we, you know, it's not because the devil is so insidious. No, we actually want it. We, we desire it. And, and so this is, this is really uh, one of the big problems that we have. But I'll tell you the other big problem, which is, I would, I would argue, equally big, is that we sometimes see serving God as some kind of strenuous work that requires generous periods of so-called rejuvenation. So we can, you know, we work hard for God for like, you know, five minutes, and then, oh, Got to go watch TV, right? Like, got to go watch, you know, my favorite movie or whatever because I've been working so hard for God, right? You know, it, it's like you really feel like now I earned it, right? Now I can go and just relax and, and just let it all hang out because I've done my, my duty, if you will. Uh, but I think that means that we just don't understand at all the beautiful life that God wants for us and the beautiful truth of being crucified with Christ, as we're covering in this whole um, session. And this crucifixion with Christ allows us to reflect his character. And, this, and he, God himself, gave himself for us. I, I don't think we know who God is. That's, I think, our bigger problem, maybe. What do you think? Do you know, do you know how big God is? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know how much he's done for you? I, I think that's probably... The bigger problem. You know, a lot of us think of Jesus maybe as, as a really good man who, who was very kind. He did a lot of good things on earth. He's a very noble example. He, he, we could look up to him. 
but we do not understand. And let me give you an example, because I think, I don't think you guys, I think you think you understand, but I don't think you understand, because I don't understand. I just want to, sh- I, I think many of us don't understand, because let's say, say for example, uh, my good friend George, I don't know if George is here, gets a phone call from Bill Gates, right? He gets a phone call from Bill Gates, and uh, uh, he's not there to get the call, but the message comes to his, to his voicemail, and it says, you know, um, uh, hi, George, I, I heard a lot about um, the ministry you're doing, you know, the, with the Christian group that you're running. It's really, um, you guys are having a positive impact. You're getting people to uh, lead more Christ-like lives, and, and I really think this is a great, noble cause. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'd, like to, I'd really like to meet with you to talk about, you know, ways that we could support you. And uh, so George gets the, gets the message, and um, uh, he's, he's like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And so he calls, he calls uh, Bill back, and what do you suppose um, George says to Bill? What do you suppose he, and, and let's, let's just say, let's just, just for interest's sake, let's say um, Bill says, uh, Bill Gates says, you know, I, 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 need to go, I need to meet with you Tuesday night because Wednesday I'm going to Malawi, in Malawi, I've got a meeting to help, you know, sick children. You know, you know Bill Gates, he's got the Gates Foundation. He wants to help all these sick kids to, uh, to get better. So uh, I've got to go to Malawi. But on Tuesday night, I'd love to meet with you, and we could talk about this. Would you, uh, dinner's on me. Let's, uh, let's get together and talk. So do you suppose George, when he calls Bill back, what do you think George is going to say? Sure, I'd be happy to meet on Tuesday night. Like, let's go. Like, what are we going to get? Like, $1.5 billion or something? Like, seriously, like, this could be huge. I mean, the whole, the whole of eastern, I don't know, the eastern uh, side of all of North America would be hit rather than just eastern Canada, right? <laughs> Very easily with, this, with all these funds. Can you imagine? <sighs> He's not going to say, um, you know, actually, Bill, I, so I... Have you heard of Avengers? Like, it's Tuesday's, like, cheap night. And I'm already going with my friends to see Avengers. And I, I just can't, like, sorry. Like, I can't, I can't make it. But I'd love to meet you another time. Like, maybe, maybe let me know, you know, when you're back and we could, we could chat. No, he's not going to say that, right? Because why? He's focused on this very influential, rich man who just called him and said, Hey, I want to help you. I want to do... But God, who is God to us? He, he owns... I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the heavensdeclare.org. Go to this website. It's fantastic. A wonderful... Uh, his name is Jim Burr. He's got a wonderful ministry. And, uh, you know, there are whole stars that are pure diamond that God made. <laughs> right? So he owns everything. And he has all riches and trust me dinner is always on him (laughs) right always why do you thank him before every time dinner is on him so I don't think we really understand the God we serve if we did we would focus on him a little bit more keenly that's why I wanted to share that story so you know God has a mission right and do you think it's a, a worthy mission what was his mission Save the world, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Save the world. Save every one of us. Now, um, can we save the world? No, of course not. But we have the opportunity to get involved in God's mission, right? So, um, I don't think there's an any more worthy cause to join. Do you? No? And, and I'm really perplexed that so many of us, myself included, I'm speaking to myself, don't give the weight to the mission that we should, right? We don't recognize the beauty of it. And I think this mission, or Great Commission, if you will, uh, the devil has planned very well to, just like with his first temptation, to distract us from our focus, okay? And this is why this is where I want to get to now. And how does he do this? Well, he mixes evil with good, right? He, he does the same old thing he's done all the time. 
And what I find incredible about it is, first, he tempts us by saying, oh, it's really not that bad to do this. And then when we do it, he comes and tells us, you're not good enough to go back to God for forgiveness. I mean, like, talk about convoluted thinking. Talk about complete reversal of ideas. So the devil is really confusing, but it works on us. He discourages us. As soon as we fail, he comes back to us and says, look, do something uh, for yourself. God won't do anything for you, right? Now, what are some of the ways that the devil mixes evil and good in our lives? And and I'm happy to take some examples from you guys. Um, I have some here, but does anybody have a thought they want to share? Not the easy and obvious ways. There are any subtle ways that the devil mixes good and evil in our lives? Yes? I was talking to some Vietnamese friends, and they said, well, drinking beer, one can of beer a day is good for you. Right. That's, that's up there. So, so, yeah, so, propound, so saying, hey, it's health beneficial, like a little bit of alcohol, eh, it's good for you, right? Truth is it isn't, but, yeah, there's, there, there are, there's all kinds of false research out there. Danielle would know a lot about this. <laughs> so there's a lot of false information, um, and uh, that's the devil uses to, to stray us off our path. What about um, good things that cause us to have bad responses. So food is good in general, right? Food is good in general, but there are some foods that if we eat, they uh, cause our brain to not function correctly, like too much sugar, as we just learned upstairs if you were there. So uh, the other good thing is a beautiful woman. Is there anything wrong with a beautiful woman? No, she's beautiful. Excellent, right? Nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when, we, when it leads us into adulterous thoughts, right? So these good things lead us in a direction that's not good, and it's because it's been programmed into society, and it's been programmed by the devil, I believe, to, to try to shift our thinking and draw us away from the good part and into the, into the bad part. So, for example, you, know, you have movies that have a really good moral story, Right? There's a lot of good moral movies out there, like morally good movies. But then they, throw, they always throw in a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, some little bit of questionable scenes and some, uh, you know, I'm not sure about that. So, so there's all these little subtle things. And then we've also got, you know, eating healthy food. You can eat, you can eat too much healthy food, right? If you really overdo it, you can. You get to the point of intemperance. Um, the other thing that we can do, and this is a temptation maybe more real to you guys because I don't think you're struggling with necessarily eating healthy food, but uh, maybe you feel like eating your healthy food is, is really you know, making you have life eternal. Like you're, you're, getting, you're getting really, uh, really, you know, you feel like, okay, you know, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus was good, but I, I'm telling you, I, didn't even eat, I don't even eat fish. Jesus ate fish. Right, <laughs> these kinds of ideas, right? And it's like, whoa, wait a minute, there's something wrong in your thinking. So we have to really be careful. Um, the other thing is, you know, we can get addicted to some of these things, like physical exercise. Yes, it's excellent, but we can use it to build ourselves up to the point where now we're so proud that we, we, we become our own idols again. Um, same thing with our time with friends, you know? Maybe we spend a lot of time. It's, is it good to spend time with friends? Yeah, absolutely. Um, good influential friends, but what if what if it gets a little late at night, right? A little too late at night. So you're you're thinking, you know, it's been proven that later in the evening. I'm not going to go into the studies about this, but it's very clear that later at night your cognitive function decreases, your your serotonin levels are lower. You're 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 you're, you're supposed to be sleeping, <laughs> but you're trying to stay awake. And we do this, okay? A lot of us do this. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm immune. And, and we can't think clearly at night as well. Why? Because we, 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 our brain isn't meant to function at night. It's meant to function during the day. And we have artificial lights and artificial things in front of us to try and keep us stimulated and keep us awake. And so what kind of decisions do we make when our brain isn't working? 
very bad ones. Have you noticed in your own life when you have a temptation, have you noticed there's a trend that always the temptations seem to hit at night? Most of the time, no. Most of the time in the evenings as you're, as you're getting, you know, you're supposed to go to bed and then, oh, now you're, you found yourself engaging in thoughts that are not really good thoughts because you can't think well at night. So that's one thing. Um, so there are a few things that you can use to guard the doors of your mind. And I want to share with you a couple of thoughts on this. But the most important thing, I believe, comes back to focus. And you know, it isn't something that a lot of us uh, think about when we're trying to protect our minds because we think, okay, I need to sentinel myself. I need to set up barricades. I need to do, I need to, you know, uh, Ephesians 6 is an excellent thing to pray on the armor of God in order to be um, safe or, or protected, in order to have your mind clear and clean. And I, th- I agree with that. But what is it in the armor of God that protects your head? Somebody said it. The helmet of salvation. Amen. So there's something beautiful about what God has done for us that helps protect our mind. So it isn't because we ourselves are saying, oh, okay, I'm going to put on this helmet and it's salvation and then that's protective. No, I believe that God's salvation of us causes within us a reciprocating focus on him. We, turn, we, we, we recognize what he's done for us and, and we, we know that, hey, I was crucified with Christ. I don't have to be afraid of God. I can, I can follow God. I want to be with God. I want to serve God. And that, that helmet of salvation gives us a protection from the world around us. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. So it's not so much the things bouncing off the helmet that are the, that, uh, that, you know, that are the problem necessarily. It's whether or not the helmet is on. Right? Right? So we need to be wearing the helmet of salvation which God has given us. Now, um, I want to tell you this, and this is where I'm just losing my spot here a little bit. So, um, as we said, the devil brings all kinds of strange things into our minds. And one of the first ways that he gets us is through indulgence of appetite. We heard a lot about it upstairs. We heard about it in the first sin. But you know, we're really, really suckers for that. I think even in the church, we're suckers for that because, you know, you know food is something that's, you know, we all want food. We want, but, but I don't think that it would be such a problem if we were wearing that helmet, right? Because if we're wearing the helmet of salvation, it's, it's changed our focus from our personal problems to God and his uh, his love for us and what he's done for us rather than what we're trying to do for ourselves. So I, I want to read a couple quotations for you. Um, Appetite and passion, the love of the world, and presumptuous sins were the great branches of evil out of which every species of crime, violence, and corruption grew. This is in confrontation. So all of everything, every sin arose from this. So shouldn't it be easy for us to say, okay, Let's draw the line. Let's make it clear. These are not the things that I want to engage in. And so how do we do that? What are some biblical principles for doing that? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. And I know I don't have that much time, but I'm going to go a little bit further if you don't mind, because I really want to share a couple of these principles with you because I, they... they there's something that really struck me. Philippians chapter 4, you all know this very famous chapter dealing with the mind and what we should focus on. But that's not what I want to focus on right now as yet. Philippians chapter 4 and starting with verse 6. 
Well, let's start with verse 4 so we get a little more context. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why should we rejoice? He's our Savior. He's done so much for us. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, the peace of God. Let me, let me uh, put it to you this way. This text, I don't know, what, what is it that's protecting your mind in this text? Anybody see it there? The peace of God. The peace of God will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, so it's the peace of God that protects. So how does peace protect? That seems kind of ridiculous, right? Like someone's attacking you. Oh, peace, right? You hold up your white flag. I guess it does protect you, right? It should, at least if they're following the rules of engagement. But how does, how does peace protect you uh, in, in the context of our, protecting our minds? Well, let's take another, a look at another text. Isaiah 26. Uh, and verse 3. Many of you may know this text. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. And verse 3. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is what? Stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. Okay, so putting these texts together, let's see if we can figure this out. How can you have the perfect peace of God? Focus. Focus on God, right? Focus on, stay your mind on God. Focus on him. Okay, it's interesting. You know when you're assailed with a temptation? How often are you tempted when you're praying? You guys tempted while you're praying? Maybe you're tempted to fall asleep while you're praying. Um, how often are you tempted when you're doing Bible study? How often are you tempted when you're serving God, when you're doing good for others? I'm just illustrating to you that if your focus is on God, the things of earth become strangely dim, right? It really does happen. It, it's a reality that God has put this in place for us. You know, when he made in, in the Garden of Eden, when he made good things for us to look at and good things for us to eat, he provided good things for us to focus on. Those are the things. Let's not get distracted. When we recognize the beauty of what God has done, his salvation, in Galatians 2.20, as we know is the t- theme of this text, when we've experienced this being crucified with Christ, nevertheless, What? I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me, right? And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of Man, or Son of God, right? Who gave himself for me. So he, he, this, is, this is no longer a life that is my own. I want to live it for him entirely, completely. My focus is all on him. I don't want this other stuff. And that's when sin changes, You no longer see sin as a desirable thing. You no longer see sin as like, oh, this thing is, you know, like I really would like to do that sort of. It becomes distractions. It's really, you see it as a distraction. Because right now, I don't think we see sins as distractions necessarily. We see sins as as things that, you know, they're there and yeah, well, we might, oh, am I tempted? Maybe, oh, if I'm tempted, maybe I'll take some, you know, all this stuff. We get confused. But if we recognize it as a, as a distraction, just it, like here's an illustration. Say you've got a, uh, uh, everyone's watching the screen up front here, right? And, uh, and then somebody, you know, really big walks in front of the screen, you know, and is standing in front of the screen. Everyone wants to see. What are you going to say? Get out of the way, right? Get down in front. So that's how you see sin. That's how you're going to see sin. When you, when you, you're going to see it as an impediment to your view of God. You won't be able to see God and you're going to say, look, get that sin out of here. I don't want it. And that's what? Hating sin, right? Having enmity against sin, not liking sin. And your, your attitude changes. You no longer want it. It's, 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 a, it's a distraction. And so what will happen is you're going to seek to lay it aside, right? Hebrews 12, 2, 12 1. You're going to seek to fl- flee the former lusts, 2 Timothy 2.22, You're going to seek to be holy even as your Father in heaven is holy. 
Leviticus 19, 2, 1 Peter 1, 16, and Matthew, we just read today, right? Where Jesus himself said it. Um, and you're going to desire the sincere milk of God's word, 1 Peter 2, 2. These are all things that you will want. You will, your, your taste for good is going to, Im- to increase as you recognize that helmet of salvation that you're wearing. And what is it that you walk with? If you go back to Ephesians 6, right? The, the, the being shod with the what? The, shoot, the preparation of peace, right? With this, so you, you're walking with peace. You, you, you want to share peace. You're going out on a mission of peace. And that's your goal, is to go out and share this beautiful message which has given you peace. Peace of mind, right? So you no longer care about all those things. But I'll tell you what, even though all these things, uh, like I'm sharing with you, you're seeing sin as a distraction. You no longer want to engage in it. You, you've turned away from it. You, you don't want it. But what, what's going to happen? Nevertheless, there was always going to be assaults on your, on your brain, right? You know, the devil is, is, is throwing at you things. And, and you know what comes before the helmet? There was a shield, right? Shield of faith, right? So you can, whoa, okay, you know, don't hit me with, with an arrow in the head. But you're, you still wear your helmet, right? Make sure you have that on. But that shield can really protect you from, from these fiery darts. So um, you really, faith is obviously key, right? Because how are, we, how are we to know that we're crucified with Christ? How can we have that peace knowing that he's paid the penalty for us? We have to have faith. So critical, right? So what I want to tell you, and this is what, what really is insidious about the devil, is, as I said, there's always going to be this distraction that's going to be for, thrown at you. And your personal peace or your Garden of Eden experience, if you will, is going to be under siege constantly by a serpent. And this serpent is trying to mingle evil with good. But don't be fooled. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be distracted. Keep your guard always. Remember that giving an inch to a snake lets him all the way in the door. Right? Snake doesn't need a whole lot of space to get in. So guard that door meticulously. Learn to set your boundaries far from danger. Why would you flirt with a poisonous snake? Right? We all, we all, I mean, I think the lesson is clear. You don't, you know, I had a friend who uh, was from Australia came out camping with us. And, you know, in Ontario, we don't have a lot of poisonous snakes. We have only one. Um, but that one is, it's the Massasauga rattlesnake. It's, and it is present up north where we were, where we were camping. But uh, the minute this girl saw a snake, this lady saw a snake, she's a physician, actually. She was freaked out. Because I'll tell you, in Australia, the snakes are poisonous. <laughs> Most of them, or many of them. You've got to really be careful, right? So as soon as she saw a snake, she knew what to do. Get out of there, right? Right away. Response was, I don't want anything to do with this. Amazingly, we did actually see a rattlesnake with her. <laughs> but, you know, she knew how to, how to treat it, right, and be careful. And this is how we have to be with the devil. We can't, we can't, turn, we can't, we can't say, okay, you know, um, yeah, it's okay if you come and just be in the, like, the side door there, you know, like just hang out in that corner. Um, you know, just hold your ground. Yeah, yeah. Here we got some. I've got, a, I've got one fan. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, so we re- we really need to guard meticulously this door because you know letting the snake in. Think about later at night. Maybe this goes back to my analogy. The darker it gets, how easy is it for the snake to get around and get you? Right. You can't see. You can't even see where he is. Go to bed. <laughs> go to bed your mind will be refreshed in the morning you'll have the ability to think more clearly and you'll be able to face and discern the temptations that, go, that, that you're going to be faced with you will be faced with these temptations even if you're focused on Jesus but I'm telling you if you're not focused on Jesus you're not wearing a helmet right? because you don't really understand what he's done for you you don't understand the salvation of God so you need to understand that uh, so what are some practical ways? Because, you know, I've gone through a couple of, uh, uh, you know, examples here. What are some practical ways to guard your mind? Because, you know, you'll still tell me, well, there are certain activities that are still sort of so-so. Like, I think they're kosher. So how, how do I discern what's good and what's bad? 
what, what, what's a good activity. So th this is a good thought experiment I'd like to uh, make you do. So if, if you would feel comfortable doing what you're doing with Jesus, right? Like, hey, Jesus is here with me, and we're doing this, right? Ask yourself that question when you're doing something. Is it, is it okay that you're here watching me or, or not? Simple litmus test, right? Um, what, about this, what about this one? Is, is the activity you're doing, is it furthering or floundering the cause of Christ? So are you, are you, are you needlessly using your time and energy in something that's completely useless to fin completing, finishing the work? Or are you doing something that is just directly in line with what Jesus wants, right? Are you, are you focused on him or are you, are you getting caught off track? The other thing to ask yourself, and this is what I think if Eve had asked herself this, she would have known very clearly the answer, but, you know, she tried to ask herself, but is this entirely good? Is everything about this scenario good? Obviously, she was going against the will of God. That wasn't good, right? So there was good and evil. And in our case, it's always the same. There's going to be, there could be a little bit of good and a lot of evil. There could be a lot of evil, a little bit of good. And what sometimes happens, this is another flip side of the story, is sometimes the devil mixes a, a, um, a lot of evil with a little bit of good, and then we throw the good away. <laughs> That's another story, right? So we sometimes get confused, and, and the devil works really hard to try and get us off track. So I want to, sh I want, I want to challenge you all, and, and this is, I have another text for you. Um, and this challenge is that the truth should not just be known by you, right? The truth should sanctify you. Isn't that the prayer that Jesus had for, for us? Mm -hmm. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus wants us to be cleansed by his truth. And he wants us to be completely sold out to him and 100% focused like a laser on him. So I want to share with you another text. And, and I have... I don't know if I have much time. Oh, I have a little time. I said I was going to go over time, so I'm going to follow through on my promise. Um, so, uh, you know, we've looked at Philippians, and uh, we've looked at, at, at an earlier part of Philippians. Um, but before I get to that, I want to, um, to share with you a text from Proverbs 14. There's a couple of texts. Actually, you don't even have to go there because you all know this text. There's, it's mentioned twice in Proverbs, so that must mean, you know, when the Bible says something more than once, it's emphasized, right? It says, um, there's a way that seems right to a man. You can finish it for me. But in the end, it leads to death, right? So things may seem right. This is exactly what happened. This was Eve's experience. It seemed right. The fruit even was exhilarating. It tasted good. It had a nice feel to it. She thought she was eating like an angel. But no, ultimately the, the, the result is death. So how is it that you can, maybe you've fallen before, right? We've all fallen. I'm not saying maybe. We've all fallen. Every one of us. So what about, what about your mind now? Isn't it tainted? Isn't it tainted for good? Can you change it? Well, we know that God, and we heard about this even upstairs, we know that science has proven, actually, that your mind can be regenerated in reality, physically. The way you think can change your brain chemistry. Not only your brain chemistry, but your brain, your physical structure of your brain. So, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right? So this is another proverb. So the way we think actually physically changes who we are. And your mind is the center of who you are, your frontal lobe, right? Very powerful place for making decisions, making clear judgments, and it starts to deteriorate in function as you get later into the night. I keep bringing this up over and over again, but I think it's a, a very specific uh, avenue that the devil tries to reach us through is 
getting us up too late at night, right? Now, um, what is it that we can do to renew our minds? Well, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? But I would argue, and that's very true, it's, it's a miracle. God does this for us. It's, he, he changes the way we think, but he does it by giving us what? That hel- helmet of salvation? And he, he does it also by having us meditate on, on certain things. And if we look in Philippians chapter 4, you all know these things, but maybe you haven't thought of them necessarily in this light. So going back to Philippians 4, somebody could probably recite it for me because you guys all know this text so well. Whatsoever things are, Good, good. Right. Okay, I'll say it out loud for you because I hear you guys are mumbling it and it's great. (laughs) I love to hear it, but I'll say it clearly for you. Um, So it says, Finally, brethren, and this is after what? This text where we talked about keeping your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right? What is it? The peace of God that keeps us. So that promise of salvation, the truth that God has given us peace. He is, he's, he's given us this gospel message of peace that somebody came to us, thankfully, and walked with, the, with their peaceful shoes into our home and said, look, God has done something for you. You need to know. And so we've been transformed. We understand the peace. And it's that peace that's protecting our minds. Now, how do we continue in that? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, these are all, yes, they're all specific things, but these are all attributes of the character of God, right? These are all attributes of Jesus. So again, if we're focusing on him, if we're focusing, you know what happens? What's amazing is that it crowds out all the other things right? And we see those other things as distractions. So knowing God's character, focusing on his glory, focusing on his beauty, focusing on his almighty power can and will crowd out the evil. It will. In time, it does. He who has promised to complete this work, right? In us, he will complete it. He truly will complete it. So how does this happen? Well, some people... Uh, have done studies on this. Actually, there's a group at Andrews University. I don't know if you're familiar with their work, a sociology chair there, um, Dwayne McBride. He's done some studies looking at um, risky behavior in youth, right? A lot of people, uh, the the worry is that young people engage in all kinds of risky behavior. So what do you do to protect these young people from risky behavior? What they found is one of the most protective things for high-risk youth, it's not, it's not to like, give them more rules, right? It's not to prevent them from going here or doing that. What, what they found is if they engage the youth in some kind of meaningful service activity, right? Useful stuff. If you engage youth in meaningful service activity, it chops their odds ratios for <laughs> committing all kinds of heinous, risky behavior down highly significantly. Why? Because they're doing God's will, right? They're doing his work. They're engaged in the work. They're allowing, and, and not only does that give them uh, a sense of self-worth, because how, how much worth do we have in the eyes of God? Infinite worth. Because what? An infinite being came down and took upon himself our sinful nature, died for us. That's infinite value incredible infinite value and i again i don't think we understand it but none of us understand it but we can hope that we understand it just a little bit that's all it takes right so i to to close i really want to emphasize again that you need to focus focus on the light above you know last uh couple weeks ago i was out in out camping again i love camping as you might have noticed and uh we were we were out in a, a kind of a swampy area at the, uh, on Georgian Bay, and there was a uh, there were a couple water lilies at, at, in an area. So we, we kind of drove the boat towards these water lilies, and uh, wanted to pick one for for my wife, my my 
my son wanted to pick one for my wife. So, so we went there, and uh, I noticed when we got to these water lilies, you know, they're beautiful flowers. I don't know if you've ever seen a water lily. They're absolutely incredibly beautiful. And they're, they're, they're there. And I noticed that there were a few, because the water was clear enough, there were a few water lilies that hadn't made it to the top yet, right? They were on their way, though. And they were on a really straight path on their way. And they, they, they refused to get involved in the muck around them, right? <laughs> they were just going up to the light, right? And they, they weren't yet open. They had their little bulbs there, and they were coming up. They were coming up. And, and you know, this is, this, is, this is really an object lesson for us, that we need to be looking up, looking up, focusing on Jesus. As we focus on him, all this other stuff, we, don't, we really don't want it. It's, it's a distraction. It, we treat it as a distraction. And as we're looking to him, we, we go higher and higher. And finally, you know, the path of the just, right, gets brighter and brighter and brighter until the perfect day. So ultimately, we reach that place and we open up. What a beautiful thing, right? It's amazing. And, and God wants that for us, for each and every one of us. So this last quote I want to share with you from Mind, Character, and Pers- Personality, page 238. If Christ is abiding in the heart, he will be in all our thoughts. Our deepest thoughts will be of him, his love, his purity. He will fill all the chambers of the mind. All of the chambers of the mind. You know, they've shown that specific neurons can correspond, and especially the, the synapses between them, right, correspond to specific memories. So if you see a picture of X celebrity, that one neuron lights up, corresponding to that celebrity, right? Very interesting. So they're, they're, your mind is actually physically containing everything that you've ever seen. It's there, and, and there's a corresponding neuron. You know, I don't think you understand the complexity of the mind. There's over 100 billion nerve cells in the mind, right? So the mind is... is sopping up everything from all around and you're, 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 all of these different things are coming into your mind and it's affecting you. But this says here, he will fill all the chambers of the mind, right? Our affections will center about Jesus. All our hopes and expectations will be associated with him. To live the life we now live by faith in the Son of God, looking forward to and loving his appearing will be the soul's highest joy. He will be the crown of our rejoicing. So, my my prayer for you and my call to you really is that that you join me in saying that I want to focus with laser-like precision, focus on Jesus Christ. He's done so much for me. How, why would I, how can I turn away? How can I, it just doesn't make sense to turn away. I, I need to look at him because of what he's done and because of his plan for me. And and he will only raise you up to a higher place. It's true. He, he will, you, you, and eventually you'll bloom, you'll open up, and we'll all be together in heaven. Amen? Amen. So uh, I'm pray- that's my prayer for you. And uh, if, you, if you all have that same desire to be like that lily going up to God, opening up and, and seeing and, and, and really reaching your full potential because you refuse to get mired in the muck, and your roots are going down into the pure sand below. You're not getting into the muck. I, I, I'm asking you all to stand with me as we pray and, uh, and dedicate ourselves to focusing on Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are but dust. And we know that everything that is valuable in us is because of the value you put in us. You've made us who we are. You created us. You created our minds. You know them. You know everything about us. You, you understand the best for us. And I just pray that as each one is standing here, that you will work in their lives to continue to guide and lead them to be uh, true reflections of your, your, your perfect character of love so that the world will also see and understand their value in your eyes. So I pray now that as we, uh, as we close here, that you'll, uh, in a special way, impress with your Holy Spirit um, the need to constantly guard our minds 
and to focus on you so that we will understand the distractions that come and we'll, we'll draw lines that are far away from, uh, from those distractions getting a deeper root in us, Lord, that we'll, we'll make, we'll make, we won't make provision for the flesh, but we'll rather set barriers so that we can truly always focus only on you. I pray all these things, trusting that you will answer them in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.